Hey now, we are getting over and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times data with the latest WWE episode of your favorite professional wrestling podcast. That's right, getting over is back once again. It's Tuesday. We are a couple days past WWE Money in the Bank. Quickly on the road to SummerSlam and the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, is back with vintage Chris Benini to break down everything that happened this past week in the world of WWE surrounding that Money in the Bank premium live event. We still have a ton to talk about from SmackDown. And of course, we have three hours worth of Raw to go over. WWE has also been in the news a little bit this week for some signings. We are going to cover it all on today's show, but it would not be an addition of the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast of the Silver King did not remind you that this show So look, we're halfway through the year. Stop making me ask. Stop being marks for yourselves and go back to being a mark for me. Go back to being marks for the Silver King for Vintage. Go to Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Please leave a five-star rating on the Apple system. You can also leave a five-star review. Let everyone know why you listen, subscribe, and download these episodes. And hopefully they will do the same. The reviews are super important. So important, in fact, that every time we get a new one, we read them live right here on the podcast. We had like two weeks where we were doing one every single episode. Things have slowed down. I like reading the reviews. It's funny to comment on them. So please leave those reviews. Apple podcast, please. And thank you, as Ron Swanson would say. Also, please do not forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. You can participate in polls, interact with us, uh, send in DMs and tweets to, to be read on the show. And, you know, Every single time we do a live show or we have an episode drop, you find out about it first on Twitter at Getting Overcast. Chris, we had a holiday weekend, despite the fact that we also had money in the bank to cover during it. A lot of extra time on our hands. I hope you had a good holiday. I also hope you're feeling better, too. I know the cough had you under the weather. My back is healed. Um, So let's hope that we're both now operating at 100% with you fully back. Uh, in the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast universe. Yeah, I got back from my vacation late last week. Uh, Cough is mostly gone, still pops up from time to time, kind of just that lingering, I guess, from COVID from like a month plus ago. Um, But I'm feeling good. And and something, speaking of being on vacation, so when we did the Forbidden Door show, I was in uh, Canada for several days with my family. Mm-hmm. And you made a comment about uh, the Canadian flag. You disagreed with my. I didn't make a comment. Flag. You posted something that was I absurd posted, yes. that I responded that, to. Yeah, and we never we never circled back to it because I missed the last week's WWE show because I was on vacation. Sure, we had the instant analysis to talk about Sunday. So real quick, sure. What? Give me give me a couple top flags. Well, for why your, don't you your why don't you why don't you lay out for everyone who listens who maybe yeah. doesn't follow us personally on Twitter. Why don't you lay out your bullshit tweet? I'll tell them my response and then we can have a conversation. I said Canada has a top five flag. <laughs> okay. That it was it. <laughs> it doesn't. I mean, it, it's abs- not even it absolutely. It's does. not even close. It's not even close. Um, Is it? So my, you, my case are, for it. My, go, go ahead. Yeah. Hold on. My case for the Canadian flag lay it is out, that lay it it's simple. It's obviously red, white, red, and it's got a mm-hmm. lo- it's got an iconic logo in the middle that nobody mm-hmm. else has, and that you can pull that logo out of the flag, and everybody still knows it's Canada if you just see the maple leaf. I think it is a great, great flag. 
Okay, so it is simplistic. So here's the thing. I'm, I'm not saying it's a bad flag. That, that there needs to be a, a understanding here. I'm vociferously against the idea that it's a top five flag. However, it is a very nice country flag. There's no, there's no hate for me for Canada. I love our Canadian listeners. I hope to visit Canada someday. It seems pretty nice up there. But in terms of being top five flag in the world, how many countries are there? Like 320, something like that. It is not top a lot, five. A lot of countries. Uh, so let me very simply state it like this. If there is another flag that does your same design better, it's, it's very difficult for you to already be in the top five, same or similar. And the Japanese flag shits all over the Canadian flag. It is way cooler, way more stark. I think I, I assume it's been around longer. I could be wrong about that, but I, I assume it has been. Um, so it in every way is better. Really, all Canada did was they're like, oh, that Japanese flag. Cool. We can't do sun. So let's put a maple leaf in the middle and put red stuff on the side. That way it's a little bit different. So Japan shits on the Canadian flag. Um, in terms of a flag that has the three quadrants, right? Like two colors on the side and a logo in the middle that's better. If you've never seen the flag of Barbados, let me tell you, it is one of the yes. coolest things in the world. That's top yes. five. And then I'll just, you know, in order to fill out the rest, and I'm not going to give you my whole top five, but as a third that I clearly like better than Canada, is the Jamaican flag, which I think is gorgeous. Yes. So those are three off the top without even thinking that are better. So now you're telling me that Canada has to have a better flag than 315 other flags that exist. I can't get there. I mean, I would have to obviously go through them all. I think the Union Jack is beautiful. There's some other ones that are really nice. But to, to suggest that that Canadian flag with a maple leaf, as, as that is the thing that you need to know about Canada, we have maple trees. Uh, no, I'm sorry. It's not top five. We, 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 we I, come back to me. And next time we do a show with, with your top five, I need to reorganize mine. But last year when we got to flag day, I ranked my top 15 flags. All those ones okay. you mentioned are on that list. Okay. Good. I had Jamaica, I had Jamaica at three. Yep. I had Japan at seven. Two I had, which I probably should put it higher. Looking back, I don't agree with everything you said a year ago. And I had Barbados at 12. Only it's a great flag, but most people don't know what it is. That's what brought that one down. My top doesn't five, make it less great, though. I mean, my top five was Canada, Brazil, Jamaica, South Africa, and Israel. Brazil's that is was my top too. five. Brazil's so is pretty good. Yeah. Come maybe next week's WWE show or something like that. We we sh- I, I want to hear your top five at some point. Yeah, I mean, I can come up with it. You have three of them though. I mean, Japan, Barbados, and Jamaica are in my top are in. I think they're in my top three. Um, and then there's really just two more to fill in. But the point is, was to so to so um, demonstrably state that this is a top five flag. It's just it, it floored me when I saw it again. I think it was biased. I think you were in the country. Maybe you had a little maple syrup that morning. Uh, a Molson. I don't know what was going on. I think it was a biased take. That's all. It's, I, it's iconic. Everybody, everybody knows. Everybody knows what it is when they see it. Do you have it? Are you Canadian at all? Uh, yes, my, uh, there it is. my grandparents, uh, there it is. My, their parents were, my, my great grandfather was Canadian, served for the U S in World War one and got a citizenship that way. Oh, that's cool. That's really cool. Actually. Nice little story. It is, yeah. Uh, but that, 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 that is the bias that we needed to know to, to categorize your opinion right there. So, all right. Yeah. Uh, I'll, we'll do a top five. We'll, we'll talk about it again, but it's just, again, to just so <laughs> the way you were like, it is a top five flag. I'm like, no, it's not. It's like it's there's there's very it's like it's like saying um, Chris Paul is a top five NBA player. 
No, he's not. No. Is he a great I, NBA player? Well, well, we'll yes. Just, we'll just let the getting over yeah. it share their thoughts on the Canadian flag. Let us know on Twitter or in the DMs of uh, at getting overcast on Twitter. We'll see what the people think. We will. We, we will definitely uh, hear from them because anytime we argue about anything like that. And I have a feeling there may be another conversation um, that we have later in the show about a polarizing topic that I did not think would be that polarizing uh, that I tweeted about last night. But we will we will get into that. Uh, Chris, look, we have a lot of wrestling to talk about on today's show. A lot of sports entertainment from WWE, and I don't think we should waste any more time. So let's just slide into the main event. event. And we do have a lot to talk about today. Normally, these premium live event episodes uh, coming out, it's just like the three hours of Raw and like one or two things from SmackDown. But not only do we have the three hours of Raw and a handful of things from SmackDown, but WWE has also made a number of signings recently that we are going to cover in this main event segment. Now, before we get to that, I want to have an early discussion with you, Chris, about this build to SummerSlam that Scott started, obviously, before Money in the Bank, but they, it really kicked into gear a little bit, uh, really after Money in the Bank on Saturday night, and then, of course, Monday on Raw. And the, the main event, the main match, is the undisputed WWE Universal Championship uh, between Roman Reigns and Brock Lesnar, sixth or seventh time they fought. I don't have the exact number in front of me. But it is going to be a last man standing match. And the reason why I wanted to briefly discuss this, even though we've mentioned it before, is yes, Reigns hasn't been on Raw in two months. And we haven't seen Lesnar since he showed up on that one SmackDown to to stand across from Reigns. Uh, Reigns, by the way, will be on SmackDown this week uh, after not being on for, I think, the last two weeks. And Lesnar is not advertised as of right now. But besides all of that, Something interesting has developed, and that is the way that WWE is promoting this match. Commentary, promos, and a video package. And the promo, by the way, was from Theory. And the video package they aired at around 10.40 p.m. last night. They are all referring to this match along these lines. One last time, one last match, last man standing. Now, We obviously cannot trust WWE to actually follow through with this being their last match. We thought that was the case at WrestleMania. It was the greatest match of all time. There was no reason for them to fight again after Reigns beat him clean. What are you doing, right? But I wanted to bring it up here so that we could all be on the lookout to see how much they actually lean into this. Not just in promotion for the match, but in storyline, if they lean into it in storyline. Because when you think about it, it really is the only remaining element that could actually get me even the least bit excited for the match. The fact that we'll hopefully never have to see it again. Uh, Steve at Caveman Fire, one of our listeners, he tweeted me. He's like, there should be a contract signing with this stipulation at the forefront. Like Reigns, rather than this match having been announced by WWE... It should have been the next week where Rain said, hey, Brock, if you want this, fine. But this is the last time. I never want to fight you again. And if they had done that from the onset, I think people would not have been as upset that we were getting the rematch. But even if they do it now, if we come Friday and Reigns has his promo and he's like, that's it. We can't do this anymore. It's enough. Brock, this is the last time you're going to have to agree to that in writing if you want to have the match. I think that would be a great idea. 
really the only way WWE can build interest here is to fully lean into this slogan. One last time, one last match, last man standing. Just like they did for that John Cena Miz feud that went on forever. And they finally at some point said, this is it. This is the last time they're fighting. And to my recollection, they never fought again after that. So I believe that's what they need to do here. I hope they do. And I will say Monday night, the way it was promoted, I was a little bit more bullish on this than I was going into it. Well, it'd it'd be more believable if WWE was ever interested in in, in showing us something as opposed to just telling us. They're just telling us it's the last match. There's no reason for it. There's no kayfabe, you know, setup for it because that would require probably Roman Reigns being on TV or at least Paul Heyman and Brock Lesnar having a face-to-face. And those two are so infrequently on TV that you can't really do it. And all you can do is just say we're going to do it and throw a bunch of really good video packages together and just beat you over the head with it until you just kind of accept it. That's what the greatest WrestleMania match of all time was. Yeah, but so, we, never, we never accepted that, though. No, but it's like, I don't care about any of this build. Like, just get to the match, do it, and be done with it. There's there's nothing you can do to build any more interest after you literally had called the greatest WrestleMania match of all time. There's no <laughs> topping that. So, like, there's and it nothing wasn't, you can... it didn't even deliver. No, that was the it problem. wasn't. Yeah. It wasn't. There's nothing you can do to get me excited after that. So, like, I'm just like, all right, it's happening. They're probably not going to be on TV very much leading into the match anyway. So I don't really care until we get to the match. That's just kind of basically my whole thoughts on that thing. And that's fair. I, I don't disagree with anything you're saying. But what I'm specifically wondering is whether the addition of that, I don't want to call it a stipulation. If, if they make it into a stipulation for the match, if they make it into the fact, it's fact-based, this will be the last time they fight. Does that lessen your uh, disturbance or anger or whatever you want to call it over them doing the match? The fact that they're Um, stepping out and saying, look, we get it. This will be the last one. Because don't forget, this was not the booking plan. The booking plan was Roman Reigns and, and Randy Orton. And this is another situation where WWE had to call an audible. Now, I only give them, you know, 10 to 15 percent credit for saying, hey, well, look, they're spending the money and bringing Brock Lesnar in and, and fans like him. And, and they're, that's going to draw ticket sales and, and, and buys and if, subscriptions. It, so I do, you know, I give them a little bit of credit for that. At the same time, I would have done something completely different utilizing other star power they have in right. the company that they're not utilizing. Still, if, if I, yeah. I'm saying if they add this on top of it, does that... Does that loosen your wheels a little bit? I guess is really what I'm saying. Not really. It just, it makes me more of like, all right, let's kind of get this over with and I don't have to deal with it again. Also, I don't totally believe them. We had once in a lifetime, two years in a row. Like, you know, I just, I'm just kind of whatever about it. And if I recall correctly, did they, did they just announce on social media that it was yes. the last match and it was last man standing? No, no. So, so immediately after that challenge on SmackDown, like, Five minutes later on Twitter, they tweeted out Roman Reigns, Brock Lesnar, main event, last man standing. So there wasn't even like a build to yeah. the stipulation. Right. It was the laziest possible way you could. You, you didn't even have Paul Heyman come out and say, I talked to Brock and we're going to do this. You know, it was just literally not nah, we're doing it. So like there's been so little effort put into booking and planning this match. 
And as much as they can try to put on the back end after they've already done it, I'm just not going to care because they didn't care. And that's just last man standing, last match ever. Sure, fine, whatever. I, I mean, it, it makes me hopeful we won't see it again. And But I don't know. I don't really care. You just can't believe it. You can't trust it. That's the problem. Yeah. You can't trust that it's actually going to happen. All right. So let's keep going here. Again, I just kind of wanted to touch on that. The the other match that has been, there's two other matches that have been officially, officially announced, but one of them is Pat McAfee against Happy Corbin. Now, we did not really cover this. We mentioned it, but we didn't really cover it on our Money in the Bank instant analysis. And that's that there was a post-match attack after Money in the Bank, after the main event, the men's match, to officially set this up like for good. And I saw the video um, Monday night. The attack was actually awesome. Corbin grabbed McAfee like with a forearm across the chest over the barricade. He hit end of days at ringside. He screamed in his face and it felt intense, like legitimate intensity and legitimately surprising. Like the crowd was going crazy for it. They didn't know at first if it was real, which obviously it wasn't, um, or if it was something that was kind of storyline. And I think once they got ringside, it was pretty obvious that it was storyline. But these guys are legitimate friends. They both played together for the Indianapolis Colts. And I think they may have even been roommates during training camp or something like that. But I'm just glad that they're getting a chance to do a one-on-one match because the WrestleMania match was really a bastardization of what McAfee can do in the ring. (laughs) Like he's way more talented than what we got to see at WrestleMania. And if you never saw him fight Adam Cole in NXT, number one, I assume if you're listening to us, you have a Peacock subscription. Go watch that match. McAfee, Adam Cole to know what Pat can do in the ring. But knowing what he can do in the ring, to not have him be able to do it at Mania, I'm very excited that he gets the chance to do it now against Baron Corbin, who I think you and I both agree is severely underrated, or at least I've been saying that for a while. So I like this a lot. The setup is simple and logical. And ultimately, I do expect a match that over-delivers. I I was unaware of that football background. Um, I really hope they lean into it. Like, be like, Man, when we were together with the Colts, you were such an asshole and everybody hated you and, and stuff like that. Like, really? Or we were friends thing. and then you became a wrestler and you turned into such an asshole. Right. Yeah, or, or something. I, I like lean into that kind of stuff. I think that would be really interesting because I had no idea. Um, yeah, it's, you know, I, I'm looking forward to this. You know, it's SummerSlam is, is you know, WrestleMania kind of adjacent sort of. And, and you pull the big matches for that. And then we, we'll talk about it more with with Logan Paul stuff. But I, I'm I'm curious kind of moving forward how often wwe goes back to those wells is it gonna are we gonna have a mcafee match every wrestlemania and SummerSlam? are we gonna have a logan paul yeah at SummerSlam in the next wrestlemania and then as someone who went to wrestlemania 38 absolutely loved it thought it was incredibly fun and we all everybody had great reviews for it i'm curious if in hindsight it kind of waters it down if we have that stuff happening uh, all the time there so so i don't know i mean that's just my personal thing um, but no, I, I'm looking forward to this. It's fine. It's SummerSlam, Stadium Joe. You got to have some, some, some uh, different kinds of things. And uh, so, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. So it does water it down. I think that signing, you know, Pat McAfee being an employee, you know, being a SmackDown commentator, it does make it a little bit different. It would be, it's kind of more like when Jerry the King Lawler would randomly get pulled out for a feud, uh, like with Bret Hart, for example, and they feud for two months and then. He just goes back to being a commentator, right? So with Pat, I don't really have an issue with it. And I think as long as the storylines make sense, which this one does, the last one did not, 
the, the theory McMahon one made no sense. It was completely forced and it was just kind of ridiculous. But as long as they do storylines that make sense, I have mm-hmm. no problem with it. And I think the same can be said for the next person that we're going to talk about. I just want to get pause really quick. And before we get to that, um, that's going to be a little bit later in the show. Um, I wanted to go back a little bit and talk about Corbin because we discuss him infrequently on the podcast. Usually it's complaints. And usually recently, at least it's involved Madcap Moss that we've been talking about him. But I had this thought while I was talking about McAfee Corbin with a friend who listens to Pat's show. He goes, oh, I'm going to watch SummerSlam because of this and blah, blah, blah. But we've talked ad nauseum on this podcast, at least I have, about Moss needing a gimmick change badly. And he does. But there may be no one more in need of a massive character shift than Corbin right now. I'm not sure if it's making him a baby face, going back to the lone wolf character or whatever, but he needs to drastically get reset. Kind of like when they took Bradshaw and they kind of plucked him, not from obscurity, but from doing much of the same thing for a long period of time. And they just made him JBL. Yeah. And they suddenly elevated him into the main event. Corbin has that same ability in the ring and on the mic. He is a natural heat magnet. He just has not been given anything resembling a decent push. Like, you have to remember, like, Applebee's Corbin, like, Constable, right? Um, Bum-ass Corbin was good, but it was way too short. Happy Corbin Mm -hmm. now. I'm forgetting one one or two of the other gimmicks that he did. But it's just been stuff that's like lower mid-card trash. And it goes on way too long. He is a talented, still relatively young dude who is capable of so much more than he does. And I would love for this to end the Happy Corbin character and have him come back and maybe do Lone Wolf, where he can say, look, Madcap Moss turned on me. This guy who used to be my friend and teammate turned on me. And we had a feud. like. Lone Wolf is the perfect character for this guy. It worked exceedingly well. He had one of the greatest entrances, I think, of all time in WWE in NXT, uh, that Lone Mm -hmm. Wolf entrance. It was awesome. Mm -hmm. They just got to do something different with Corbin, and it has to be drastic. It can't just be turning him to Baron Corbin again. Like You got to really sink their teeth into this guy, and I I just I don't really know that the buy-in is ever going to be there, and it's really unfortunate because, again, the JBL – model is what's been in my head. He does have that ability to be a character, not necessarily that character, but a totally reinvented character like that. Corbin is a a company guy and that can do a lot of good. It can make you a lot of money, but it can also be a problem. And that is, it's hard for you to break out into another spot if you're so reliable in your current spot. Corbin's the guy they can get to do anything and they can put him on the first SmackDown on Fox and, and get a rock bottom from the rock, you know, and, and be and do the Pat McAfee match and try to work to get young guys over and stuff like that. I, I he's he's been here for so long that I just don't think they're ever going to do anything more with him. He won a money in the bank and he lost and he lost when he tried to cash in on gender. He won an Andre the John Memorial Battle Royal and it just it, it didn't didn't go anywhere and i think just i think they see him in a certain spot and they've had no interest in putting him into any other spots now i wouldn't do that i agree with you i think he's really really good 
I thought the best character work he's ever done was his NXT period mm-hmm. when he basically hated all the indie guys. And he was basically like, I'm a big, strong football player. You're these little flippy indie wrestlers and I hate all your guys. And he got real heat from that. I thought that was a great gimmick. Doesn't really work in today's WWE. But the, the dude's talented. He has arguably the best work and punch in the company. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's... He, good signature and finisher too. Really yes, good moves. Awesome finisher. And he's he's just he's a very reliable person. And but I just think the company only sees him as that he'll get some highlight spots like McAfee or The Rock, but he's not going to be in a world title picture. They're just going to swing him on between different gimmicks and and off he goes in in not dissimilar to uh, Big Show in a way that that he's a guy you can count on and you can use him in different spots but he's never going to be at least that big show much of a threat. at least big show and kane they turned babyface sometimes well ba- big show turned a million times yes i'm just saying correct. at least they were sometimes babyfaces this is right, right, right. this is but a Corp- one note heel character that just the name changes and and it's he wears different clothes it's the yeah, same that, dude that, though right that's the exactly that that's the change and that's the just, i don't i don't see them do anymore which is a shame because i think he's really talented i'd love to see him in a different spot but yeah. They they put him out there. They rely on him to do the same thing week after week for six months at a time, and everybody just gets bored with it. And that's not really his fault. Exactly. You know, it's it's not. It is not his fault. He does everything he's asked to do. But maybe this will open some eyes against Pat in a big spot at this show. Uh, one more thing before we get to the other celebrity who will be wrestling at, at, at SummerSlam. Uh, I want to discuss a little bit the Money in the Bank situation that we find ourselves in, and we'll go into detail on Theory and Bobby Lashley. Uh, in the good, the bad, and the ugly, our second segment here. But we discussed last week, Chris, how WWE has been blatantly telegraphing and hitting us over the head with the idea of a cash-in after the main event of SummerSlam. On Friday during SmackDown, Seth Rollins, while he was sitting on the ladder, he said all of the Money in the Bank competitors basically agreed it was too good of an opportunity to pass up. And then on Raw... Theory basically called his shot saying, not only am I going to win the United States championship back, but I'm going to win the undisputed WWE Universal Championship at the end of the show. Now, we did spend some time on this topic in the instant analysis, but given they had the women's briefcase cashed in immediately again, WWE absolutely cannot allow for a cash in at SummerSlam or anytime soon, because if they do it at SummerSlam, it's going to be theory losing. And then the both briefcases are dead after four mm-hmm. weeks, right? Um, it would be one thing if it was Rollins or Riddle or someone ready for the moment where it made sense for them to cash in at SummerSlam and win one or both of the titles. But for someone like theory, the goal for him should be to at least hold this briefcase through the end of the year, if not through WrestleMania. In fact, you know what? Let me put it this way. Theory should not be cashing in the briefcase until Roman Reigns drops the titles to whomever, whether it's Rollins or Riddle or Cody, whoever he eventually loses to. Theory should cash in on that person, not Roman Reigns. Correct. And I'm fine with them teasing it. I'm, I, I'd like them to. I'd like it to be in our minds, hey, at any moment... Theory could try to cash in. That's the point of the Money in the Bank briefcase. That's the that's the whole gimmick. That's something the women have never gotten. So I'm I'm fine with it. 
I don't I I think there are I think he could have spots where he tries to cash in and just sure you know, can't get it done and he Absolutely. doesn't actually cash in. We could get those a few times, um, as we often do. But yeah, I I don't expect him to cash in on Reigns or Lesnar, and it it would be bad. We talked about this on the um on the instant analysis. I think it would be a bad idea to the last time we saw Theory and Brock, he got manhandled like a child in the elimination chamber. So right. like none none of us believe he has a chance, even if last man standing, they've beaten each other down. I still stuff don't like that. It. Yeah. I, but I do think it's it, it sets you up in a way that you think it could happen. They could try to do it. Last right. man standing would would make sense. That is, but they're the, beating us the, over the head with it now. Like if they're beating us over they, the head with it to they, be a swerve, yeah. then it's good. Then okay, I'm glad they're doing that. But it doesn't feel like they are. It just. I I think they're beating you over the head with it to think, hey, it's possible. Theory might do it, and I, but I don't think he will. Or he could try and botch it but i mean my the way i would like to see this play out is theory keeps trying to do it right and reigns and paul Heyman are like vince like like paul like paul calls vince on tv hey vince what the f is going on with this guy roman reigns is your tribal chief he's your god mode head of the table blah 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 why is your boy trying to cash in the contract why don't you just wait and we'll give him a match at the one year marker you know something like that like paul should be incensed that Vince McMahon's guy is trying to go after Roman Reigns. Like, like that should be part of the story too. And the fact that the bloodline does exist and the Usos are there. I have no issue with theory trying to try and cash it in multiple times, but the Usos stop him once. Roman Reigns super punches him once. Uh, Superman the, punches my, him once. The, yeah. So on and so forth. The only issue is in that you become a face kind of by that happening. It, it, trying to cash in Maybe. on Roman is going to kind of be a face move. And if he keeps getting stopped by the Usos or something like that, I'm not saying the crowd will get behind him necessarily, but that's kind of a face move. Like I guess it is. Stopping you from cashing in. Or it turns Reigns face. How, how would that turn him face? I, I, I mean, it, because if he's getting Vince's up the guy, Usos. It's, it's the authorities guy and they hate Theory yeah, so I, much. Theory's one of the few people that gets real true heat. He does. Right now. But he's not going to compare to... to I, I mean, people are going to side with Roman, I think, if, potentially if that happens. That's what I'm saying. If that's their I, goal. I, I, you know, I can't I, imagine yeah, it is. I but. don't either. That That's why it's... <laughs> again, that's why it's so strange that he won it in the first place. It just... It was not the right person at the right time. I think, you know, going back to our instant analysis, in case anyone didn't hear it, both of us agreed we have no problem with Theory win it, winning it. I like it. I said, though, I wouldn't have booked it that way. I wouldn't have had him be the winner. I, I was fine with him being the winner. I because I think it it's going to open you up to uh it's gonna be six, seven months before he cashes in. And I think that's what theory needs. I think they it's an opportunity to finally now build him up. And frankly, on raw, I don't think they did a good job of that. But uh we'll see. All right. Uh the second part of our main event, there was a big signing by WWE, not MJF, no. Uh, actually, Logan Paul has signed with WWE. Uh, they announced it over the weekend on social media. There was a video of him signing the contract in the offices in Stamford, Connecticut. We even got a Triple H point uh, for him signing the contract, which was very cool. And Logan stated that he signed to fight The Miz, not team up with him. There was also some footage of him training. Now, we're going to cover everything else about this momentarily, like what happened on Raw, the storyline, whatever. But from a signing standpoint, Chris, this is a huge get for WWE. Like him or not, and I personally do not like him, Logan Paul has a massive following 
in the exact age group WWE wants to attract for its product. He gets significant media attention anytime he does anything. And let's not forget, he was actually impressive at WrestleMania. Like he can go in the ring. He's athletic. He's charismatic as hell. He fits professional wrestling, sports entertainment. My guess is this is a two match a year deal with a half dozen TV appearances kind of on top of that. But it's kind of tough to figure this as anything other than a win for WWE. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, I mean, it's exactly what we said when they got him for WrestleMania is that he's a big star. He's got a big following. Um, the stuff he did at WrestleMania was everywhere. And it's exactly what, what WWE wanted. Um, so nothing's changed with that. My only question is, what does him signing mean? Like, is he going to be on every pay-per-view? Is he going to be on... T- how, like, how is no, this going to be different? No, I, I just told you. I mean, I told you my expectation, at least. Like, Right, but I'm saying we don't actually know. So, I like, I just kind of got to wait and see. If, is this going to be... He'll be around for a month, and then SummerSlam happens, and then he's he's gone again? Like, yeah. I, I don't... So, 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 the, so, to me, the signing was nothing. It was just... It's the same thing we did before. It's just they got a lot of headlines. Out the of it signing saying, oh, is this guy. The signing is this guy is under contract to us and we'll be having multiple matches here. So not only should you should you Logan Paul fans follow for his next match, you should follow us consistently because he is part of our company and he's going to yeah. presumably talk about the company on his podcast and, and promote his well, appearances we'll and do all this type of stuff. That's what we kind of got him to see. Like this isn't a Pat McAfee situation where McAfee's on every single you know, SmackDown right. and he is a daily right. radio show where he's talking about WWE like like that. You can see it. The Logan Paul stuff to me is just a lot of TBD. We'll see. I, I mean, I, I'm sure he'll do a lot of stuff with it. I'm just I'm just curious post SummerSlam if this sure. means anything more or if just announcing his signing was simply just a way to get some some extra headlines out of it. Well, this is where I wanted to come back to what you said previously about how there were the celebrity matches at WrestleMania. And can you really keep doing the same thing? at every WrestleMania and every SummerSlam, right? So I think with Pat McAfee, you can, because again, he's part of your product. He's pretty much universally liked. It's not difficult to have someone on commentary say something shitty about a wrestler and start a feud. It's it's really easy to do it. And most of the time, it's pretty sensical. Like it's, it fits within kayfabe. However, with Logan Paul, I find it to be much more difficult. And there's two issues I have. I don't mind this match because this match makes complete sense in storyline, given what happened at WrestleMania. It's another major event. It's the same year. It's easy enough to pull it off. But beyond this, is this guy literally going to be on every WrestleMania and SummerSlam? And if so, that to me is naturally going to wear thin because he does not have legitimate reasons to consistently be starting new feuds. And there is something to be said, Chris for a two-night WrestleMania that is your single biggest show of the year, having celebrity involvement that has historically happened on that show. One on each, you know, one celebrity on night one, one celebrity on night two. It's spaced out enough. It shouldn't really impact things too much. SummerSlam is different. It is a one-night show. It is not your biggest event. It is your second biggest event of the year. And WWE, outside of the random show that goes 3.30, its pay-per-views and premium live events have been three hours sharp recently or 3.15. Like they have not gone crazy. They've not been doing four or five hour shows. Now, if they build SummerSlam into a four to five hour show, then okay. 
I'm probably not going to say anything about it. That, it's it's going to be that. Yeah. But if but if this is a seven match card or an eight match card, and two of them are Pat McAfee and Logan Paul, that's going to piss me the hell off. It really is. It is, but at the same time, we won't have Randy Orton. We won't have Cody Rhodes. But no, there's there, other. There I mean, some, there's so many other people. There are, but are there like stadium show quality? Yes, people. I, Absolutely. You know, we'll talk about it later. Becky Lynch, Oscar, no holds barred. They did it on Raw. Yeah. That's a SummerSlam match. Yeah. So, I mean, like, I'm... I, I get it. I don't love it. You know, I... I, I I'm fine. You know, if it's only seven, eight matches, then it's going to be kind of weird. But I expect this to be a four or five hour show. It's a stadium show. I, I mean, I, I... Let me... What was, what was SummerSlam? Let me look this up. What was SummerSlam... Last year, that was the first stadium summertime they've done in forever. That was that was John Cena. I feel Roman like it was Reigns. four that hours was a, sharp. I feel it, like. it was 11 matches, including a pre-show. Okay, 11 so, matches, okay. So I think that's what we're going to get probably again. And and um, and I'm and if that's the case, I get it. I'm fine with it. But I do agree time and time again, if you're going back to McAfee and Logan Paul, you know, for the people who are watching wrestling every week, it's going to get tiresome. For the people who are only watching because Logan Paul or or, or Pat McAfee's doing something, they'll tune in again probably. You know, it might take a couple years before they get bored of it. But um, it's kind of the business WWE is in now. It is. And look, the Paul brothers, they sell these boxing pay-per-views. There's no doubt about it, right? So their people follow them and spend money. And you're not asking for 50 bucks. You're asking for five for a Peacock subscription, right? right? And they're going to sell those. It's just... It's just what's going to happen. And it clearly worked for WrestleMania. So, you know, it'll probably work here as well. Uh, let's quickly, you know, I actually have a lot of stuff, but let's kind of quickly talk about what happened on Raw involving Logan Paul tangentially, because it was mostly The Miz. And then we can kind of uh, wrap up with a couple more uh, signings that WWE had or may have coming up soon. And then we'll move on to the good, the bad, and the ugly. So The Miz on Raw basically said he's proud of Logan because he's showing confidence but he's listening to the wrong people. He told Logan, retract your statement. Listen to me because we can be undisputed tag team champions. And then if he doesn't, Miz said he's going to be relentless and humble him. He also did a Brian Windhorst hand gesture, which I tweeted out in case you <laughs> missed it. Uh, clearly, WWE is trying to position Logan as a babyface, And that's reportedly why Miz turned on him at WrestleMania. But that doesn't seem to be working because... He wasn't even I, there. I was at, I, first of all, I was at that WrestleMania. The crowd cheered huge when Miz did that. But we not thought only it was did, a face turn. Not only did they cheer at WrestleMania, but when they showed the video package during Money in the Bank and to get on Raw, fans booed Logan Paul, not The Miz, both times. And I said this last week, the way to get this working is for Logan to team with AJ Styles against the Miz and Champa. It fits in kayfabe. It gives Logan a partner that can get him cheered. Otherwise, the fans are gonna cheer for Miz in this match. They love to hate the Miz, but as we've seen before, fans will cheer Miz against other particular opponents. Same thing with Kevin Owens. They're happy to boo mm -hmm. Kevin Owens, but they know they love him. So if Kevin Owens is with another heel, they will happily cheer Kevin Owens over the other heel. The good news, Chris, is that seems to be what they're doing because we got AJ Styles against The Miz. The Miz said he'd show off his American supersized balls. It went six minutes. It ended with Styles hitting the phenomenal forearm for the clean win. Champa attacked after the bell. Styles hit a Pele kick. 
as he set up for Styles Clash, Miz caught him with Skull Crushing Finale from behind, which, by the way, looked really cool on camera the way they did that. Yeah. Miz and Champa then shook hands for the very first time, though we did see them backstage together with the John Cena stuff. But this was well executed, Chris. Uh, Miz was, again, really poor in the ring. He's been struggling recently with the actual wrestling element. Styles got a needed clean win. I was worried they were going to have Miz do the singles match. It seems they're clearly setting up for the tag, which is easily the right call. Getting Styles and Champa in the ring there to do the heavy lifting is really smart. And maybe Champa gets a little bit of rub. That'd be cool. The one problem, and it is not a nitpick in my mind, is they have still given us zero explanation as to why Champa is helping the Miz. That is a massive plot hole that needs to be filled. But other than that, I think this is being executed pretty well as long as they team Styles and Logan, because that's the only way he's going to get cheered. Yeah, for, I mean, for Champa to get any sort of rub from this, he's going to have to say a word, <laughs> right? At some point, he's just he's he's basically the raw version of he's the raw version of an under control butch, is what he is. He's just someone that gets that gets sick down other people essentially, and whatever. Um, I I I think people are going to cheer AJ Styles. And they're going to boo Logan Paul when when they're in there, depending on who's in the ring. Maybe it's I, possible. I I uh, look. I you know when 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 Ronda Rousey came back and they said they're going to push her as a face and people aren't going to buy it and they kind of did. Some people did, but a lot a lot of people didn't. And we're just waiting and waiting and waiting for Ronda to turn heel where she's much more natural. Logan Paul is a great heel. Great heel. I, yeah. Honestly, the biggest boos of WrestleMania were when he did the Eddie Guerrero stuff. Like, people went crazy for that. He's an amazing heel. Just lean into that. Like, like I, I, I don't, I don't like, I don't like the way they're doing it. Logan Paul, his character outside of wrestling is a heel. Like, that's, that's his whole thing. It's going to be so weird for them to try to sell it to us like this. Um, maybe they try to, tr tr try to portray him as that tweener type thing, but People are going to people are going to boo him. They like booing him. That's his whole thing. So I don't know. We'll see if they adjust to that when he shows up on TV. Right. I, I don't exactly know how it's going to happen, but a Logan Paul beatdown with Styles making the save, Styles raising his arm. I mean, it's going to be weird. If that it's going to be weird. It's going to be weird as hell. And look, Rousey's a natural heel and she's getting cheered. She is. So, you know, with the exception of Liv and you know, but what they did there, we'll talk about that a little bit later too. I do have thoughts on that. Uh, right. but she's Rousey's getting cheered, but she, she's getting cheered as a face, but she's not getting cheered like Liv's getting cheered. That's no, 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 nor Asuka, nor Bianca Belair, nor, nor anyone, mm -hmm. but she is getting cheers as a face and she is over. So, you know, credit where it's due that it's at least working, but she is so much better as a heel. And Logan Paul, again, even if they make it work and get him cheered, he's always going to be so much better as a heel. So, we're going to see how this transpires. We got four weeks to go, but I did kind of want to lay this all out there. Obviously, it's one of the few storylines that has specifically started developing. So I figured we'd attach it or attack it is the correct word here. Um, you know, before we get into the good, the bad and the ugly, really quick, two more things before we get to our second segment. We're going to go over everything else that happened across SmackDown and Raw. Give Me Sport is reporting that Tyson Fury is in talks about a summer return to WWE. I have to presume that would be Clash at the Castle. They don't say that specifically, but I don't know why they wouldn't do it. Maybe it's a two-match situation where it's Clash at the Castle 
and Crown Jewel because the guy has fought, I believe, in Saudi Arabia before. So that's happening. I just don't exactly know what you do with Tyson Fury if it's not Drew McIntyre. And you have to believe Drew McIntyre is penciled in for the Roman Reigns match. So is it Tyson Fury, Brock Lesnar? Like, could that happen? I would love it. Is it Tyson Fury, Gunther for the Intercontinental Championship? Sheamus? Like, those are the names. That's that's all I can think of, Chris. But do any of those really kind of get you excited? Um, Brock does. Just because the styles, a UFC Same. guy and a boxing guy, like, that could be interesting. But yeah, I, I mean, I had kind of assumed this was going to be Drew McIntyre until Drew McIntyre announced he was going for the for the championship. Because Drew and Tyson Fury kind of made some comments back and forth, Twitter stuff a couple months ago after Tyson Fury's last fight. They did it a year ago. They did it like during the pandemic. They were talking about it, too, because this this show was yeah. supposed to happen last year. They were going to go over to yeah. the UK last year. Right. So. Um, so, yeah, I mean, Brock would be interesting. Gunther would be fine. But if if you need Tyson Fury to win. I you, you're not going to put him over Brock if Brock's going to probably lose SummerSlam. You don't want him to be your Intercontinental Champion. Oh, I don't think he needs to win. He lost to Braun Strowman, didn't he? I mean, he can did lose he? to Brock. Yeah. Did he lose to Braun Strowman? I, I think he did. I, I didn't watch that Crown Jewel, so I don't remember. I thought he lost clean. L- look, look it up. Maybe he did. Look, look it up to me. So we'll see. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I don't know. He's fine. I mean, he, he the the Braun match from what I saw, the clips that I remember was oh nothing special. Yeah. He he uh Good Tyson one. Fury won via count out. Ah, okay. That's uh, what it was. Ugh, ugh. Glad. <laughs> uh, yeah. At um, Crown Jewel. <laughs> it was yeah. yeah. So I don't know. I mean, look, again, it's the same thing, celebrity in England. You want to get him on the show in some form. Yes. Honestly, you know, you honestly, you know I'd put him with Corbin. Just have him beat up Corbin and get your pop. Yeah, and that's you could it. do that. You could do that. That, that. that I could see him doing that. I'm a gold gloves boxer. You're not that much better than me, even though you're a you know undisputed heavyweight champion. Yeah, they could do it. You're right. Corbin is definitely uh, an option. And lastly here, before we move on, uh, WWE also recently announced the signing of Valerie Lareda from Bellator, 23 years old, super athletic, good looking uh, woman who may very well be one of WWE's next big female stars. It's kind of tough to project that, right? Uh, you sometimes you think you know and you don't. I would have said some people WWE released, you know, recently uh, may have been their next big female stars. But uh, Lareda has a look. She can cut promos. She's super athletic, as I said. She was in Bellator and basically I think it was her agent or her manager. Someone brought her to WrestleMania and was like, take a look at this. I think you would like this. She went and absolutely fell in love to the point that she immediately went to the WWE Performance Center, did like a tryout. They liked her. She started training and now she has signed with WWE. So keep a lookout for Valerie Lareda coming probably pretty soon uh, to your TV screens, USA Network for NXT on Tuesday nights. I don't exactly know when. Chris, I don't know if you have any take or thoughts on it or if you even knew her before I just said her name, Uh, but I did want to mention it because it is something that we did not discuss last week. I'm not familiar with her MMA, but I saw her when I covered that WWE tryout here in Dallas, when I wrote the story about it for the athletic, oh, interesting. Um, she was she was there just kind of hanging around and they were kind of giving her the tour and the pitch and everything like that. So uh, this being the end result of that um, makes a lot of sense. 
Uh, I'm not, again, like I said, I'm not really familiar with her. Otherwise, WWE, you know, at the time back in April or March, when, when they were talking about her, they were really high on her. They were really pushing hard to try to get her. So they see great things with her. And she's going to NXT, right? I think that's going to be interesting as mm-hmm. opposed to the Ronda Rousey straight up to the main roster deal. Um, I think, which I think is good. Like kind of get her, get her feet wet in NXT and do some things and, and go from there. So uh, yeah, they seem pretty high on her. Yeah, they do. And um, it's really interesting that she's going to get that opportunity in the Performance Center NXT. You know, it certainly has helped with other former MMA stars, you know, that have kind of gone there that didn't have the name cachet, right, of Ronda Rousey's and Brock Lesnar's and people like that. Of course, though, Brock did start in OVW back in the day, right? He didn't just start on TV either. So uh, very interested to see what Valerie Lareda does in WWE and starting, of course, with NXT. We have So much still to talk about, Chris, on this show. Let's not waste a moment and slide into the good, the bad, and the ugly. So Liv Morgan entered at the 9 p.m. hour of Raw to very loud, you deserve it chance. She screamed, we deserve it, back, and said she's proud to be the new SmackDown Women's Champion. She put over the fans for supporting her during the highs and lows, giving her confidence and being her energy at Money in the Bank. She said the championship isn't just for her, but all the fans. Natalia interrupted, saying Liv should be thanking her for softening her up, uh, her being Ronda Rousey, sorry. Uh, Liv said Natalia knows where to find her if she wants a title match. Then Carmella came out saying... They belonged on SmackDown to get out of the ring because the Raw spotlight belonged on her, the next women's champion. Liv clowned Mella for losing to Bianca Belair, then dared Mella to make her leave. The heels attacked her two-on-one. Belair made the save. Then Adam Pearce came out to announce the expected tag team match. So we got Bianca and Liv against Mella and Natty. Belair used her braid as a rope to pull Liv to the corner for a tag that was really inventive and cool. Natty countered a powerbomb into a hurricanrana. Mella then caught Belair hanging over the bottom rope with a thrust kick into the post. Liv got the hot tag, but quickly ate a discus clothesline from Natty. Belair caught Mella flying, only to get run to the post a second time. Liv then pushed Natty out of a sharpshooter, jumping onto the ropes and hitting Oblivion for the win in 13 minutes. So Liv's promo was strong. You could feel the energy in the arena and the legitimate happiness that was in her voice. She's just so naturally likable. Like you really cannot like, cannot not like Liv Morgan. Uh, The match not only got enough time, but it was entertaining. Plus it did further the Blair Mella feud for whatever that's worth. We'll talk about that in a moment. Plus Liv got the clean win with her finisher to end one night after becoming champion. That's all good. That's what it's supposed to be. That's all I have to say. I thought the promo was solid. Um, she didn't say anything, you know, all that new. You know, it was pretty clear she had a lot of those canned WWE lines in there. But the the kind of the yelling and just kind of the, the emotion of her was kind of taking over, which wasn't a bad thing. And when she kind of just, like, stopped and just jumped around for a minute, like, the crowd was really, really into that. So that, that, was, that was nice. You know, when she won, I said that was the biggest question, is can she sit there in the ring and – cut a promo, uh, you know, just by herself like that, because that was where she has struggled. And this was fine. It wasn't great, but it was, it was fine. And they cut her off, and, and you have the, the interruptions and all that. And you have the match, fine match, and Liv getting that pin. She pinned Carmella, right? Yes. Oh, uh, no, uh, Liv pinned Natty. Did she? Oh, okay. Yeah. 
I, I, that, that was all great. Obviously, you know, get live the win. That's exactly what you want to do coming out of that is give her a win. She's got to start racking up wins now. Um, as for what's next, I, I had thought this meant we we go live Natty next, which I think could work because Liv and Natty train together. And that would be a good that would be a good way to make yeah, it. Yeah, but for Natty to get two title matches in a row. Right. But just like Ronda Natty was surprisingly good because they trained together a lot. Uh, I thought that was helpful. I think I mean Natalia could make the case, hey, you only won that championship because I took all sure. the uh, you know, I, I took everything out of Ronda Rousey. I should get my shot. Okay, go with it. Like it's better than half the other reasons they come up with women's title. Uh, matches so uh but i guess if she pinned natty in the match um then then i don't know i guess we'll see on smackdown uh how it goes but um this was a good good step forward i just the the, the, the question now is keeping live strong yeah. and interesting and, and doing stuff because you know she's naturally the character that's about the chase and she reached the money in the bank and won all in one night so you kind of just threw all that away She's already reached it now, so you're going to have to kind of go back and kind of add a lot to her moving forward. And so that's what uh, still needs to be done. Well, that's the thing. We'll stick with SmackDown and then we'll go to Raw. But and we, I mentioned this on the instant analysis, but my concern level for Liv dropping the title in four weeks at SummerSlam, it jumped massively on Monday. Yeah. Not only because of a challenger stepping up in Natalia. But more the way she was presented. They went all in on her being the people's champion. Mm-hmm. And if they do that, only to have her lose it right back to Ronda Rousey, it will be such a drag. And it would also make Ronda Rousey a heel. Immediately. She would get booed out of the arena for beating Liv. And, and because WWE would have booked her to beat Liv. Now, if that's the goal, they want to make her a heel, then okay, that would actually work. But I doubt that's the case. If Rousey does get a rematch here with Liv at SummerSlam, which I have to believe she will, the best case scenario is for it to be a triple threat with Natalia in the match for the exact reasons you said, I softened her up. I'm the only reason you won the title. I deserve to be in this too. That way Natty can beat, I'm sorry, that way Liv can beat Natty. Ronda doesn't have to take the fall. She loses the match, but nothing really happens to her. The other problem, though, that's sticking out there is Charlotte Flair. And if Charlotte Flair comes back to make the challenge to Liv, we know what's going to happen. If Liv somehow survives uh, Ronda, then Charlotte Flair comes back. We know what's going to happen. The best case scenario, truly number one best case scenario, is for Ronda Rousey and Charlotte Flair to have a non-title feud. Because that is going to continue. That feud is going to continue. It needs to be non-title. Just like Becky Lynch and Asuka, we've, I've been talking about it for months. It's supposed to be, should have been, a non-title feud that culminated at a pay-per-view coming off the Raw brand. They didn't do it for that. With Ronda Rousey's recent comments and comments from her friends that she never wanted the title and that she you know, was totally fine losing it, I really hope they don't hotshot it back onto her or hotshot it off of Liv onto Charlotte Flair, because it would be disastrous for Liv, especially with the character that they're kind of giving her as people's champion. And it just would be so trite and repetitive. They did it with Nikki Ash. They've done it so many times before. I'm just so sick of the same damn thing with Charlotte Flair. Yeah, uh, I just keep thinking about the Nikki Ash thing. 
and that's where my uh, that's where my head keeps going where you built her up as the the, the the people's champion type of deal you have her cash in within 24 hours and then suddenly uh oh like what do you do the, the chase is no longer there she still got charlotte to deal with and you had to kind of backfill it to kind of figure out what to do with her and then you put the title back on charlotte and it was like well what was the point of the cash in so whether it's charlotte whether it's ronda that is going to be my concern right now until we find out, I think, what, you know, what Liv's summer sand plans are. And maybe we'll find out uh, on SmackDown. Right. I don't want to put the cart before the horse too much regarding this. Like at, at the same time, I'm pessimistic, but I don't want to get too pessimistic until we actually see what happens on the first SmackDown after Money in the Bank on Friday. But I did just kind of want to lay it out there again, like some of the stuff we mentioned before to kind of have everyone look and see and hear what they actually do and whether it lives up to some of the pessimism that I obviously just mentioned. Uh, one more thing before we move on, I want to talk about the Raw Women's Championship picture. While we agreed the match and the booking on Monday night was good, I just, Chris, cannot stand the idea of a potential Bianca Belair-Carmella rematch at SummerSlam. Like, they're clearly going to have another match because the feud is continuing. I have to hold out hope that this is either a temporary feud that they can end quickly if Rhea Ripley gets cleared, or maybe someone else gets put into the spot. Maybe it's Bailey making her return. Like we have a title match next week against Mella. She beats her, Bailey shows up at the end. But if they go Belair and Carmella at SummerSlam, that is going to be so nonsensical given she beat her clean in eight minutes at Money in the Bank. And it would be massively disappointing for the championship run of Bianca Belair to have two title matches on major shows against Carmella. There's another option we're going to discuss in a minute, but Bel Air Mella cannot happen again on pay-per-view. Yeah, I mean, you could you could run back the exact same thing you did with Becky last year, where uh, Bianca versus uh, Carmella, and then Bailey comes out and wins, and <laughs> there you go. I mean, it's kind of setting up. Yeah, my thought is maybe they're waiting to see where Rhea's at. Um, you know, Carmella, the, the, to me... Monday wasn't a step forward in Bianca Carmella. It was just a run back of where things were. I think we still need to wait and see what any sort of Bianca plans are. Well, that's the concern. We have such a short time frame where if yes. you would think if they were going to develop a new feud for a new title match, it would have already started. But again, I think they can get away with doing this next week also and still have enough time to announce and set up another title match. But it needs to happen. It needs to happen before the end of next week's show. Correct. Yep. Exactly. That's where I look at it. All right. So let's stay with the Raw Women's Division. We had Becky Lynch against Asuka in a no-holds-barred match. Before we even get to this match, Chris, I cannot explain how deflated I was to see this announced without a shred of promotion until the start of Raw. This should have been a SummerSlam match. This exact match. Mm -hmm. Becky Lynch, Asuka, no-holds-barred to end the feud. Instead... It's the second time in three weeks and the fourth time since May 16th that they're fighting in a singles match on Raw. This is the easiest possible non-title women's feud that they could have put on a big show. I know there was a hiccup with Hell in a Cell and they were in the triple threat match and that was fine. But with them both in Money in the Bank, this was such an easy call for SummerSlam and it felt to me I could not shake the feeling like it was such a waste to just do it on Raw. Yes, it was a waste 
we both loved it, though. We'll get into it. But yeah, I mean, this is the third time in a month and a half that that uh, Becky and, and Asuka have main evented Raw. And and so, like, clear, I said this before, but clearly they just trust those two to be like, hey, we need it. We need a banger. You to go out and do it. And so this by I don't know if this means they're done or they keep going or what, but um, it was very weird to say, oh, wait, we're doing this. Like, not, not only one day after Money in the Bank, where the two of them took some pretty rough bumps. Now they got to do a no holds barred right after that. Uh, I hope they're physically OK getting through all this. But yeah, very surprised to see it just announced and off we go as the main event of the show uh, right after Money in the Bank. Um, I don't know what it means for them moving forward. Yeah, Chris, for me, that was just so incredibly frustrating. But let's go ahead and uh, continue here. So Lynch was pissed off about everything backstage. She blamed Asuka for her failures since WrestleMania. She said she's ready for Asuka, but Asuka isn't ready for no holds barred Becky. Alexa Bliss backstage says she was ready to go after the title again when Asuka interrupted to basically say that she was going to be the next challenger. So we had the match. Lynch immediately grabbed weapons after her entrance and Asuka walked out with a trash can. Becky did a fallaway slam into a stack of chairs at ringside. Asuka came back with a hip attack into a chair, putting Lynch through the barricade. Then she did a superplex on Becky into a stack of chairs for a near fall. Asuka wrapped Becky in a trash can, kicked the shit out of her, and then hit a missile dropkick with it on her for a near fall. The crowd chanted for a table. Asuka obliged. Then she grabbed the Japanese umbrella, but Becky kind of caught it and then used it to block most of the green mist that Asuka spit out of her mouth. She kicked out of the heel kick that led to a loss from Asuka two weeks ago and then hit avalanche manhandle slam through the table for the win. Thanks to three video packages, this only got 12 minutes, which was unnecessarily short. I'm not saying it was too short, but for a match like this, with all of these elements, it did feel rushed. Given the feud between these two has been so strong, given the quality of matches between these two has been so great, that was a disappointment for me. Still, this was a banger at four stars and A minus, a really good no holds barred match. Again, this should have been a 20 minute banger at SummerSlam, not a 12 minute banger on Raw. They're already selling Becky's downward spiral as being over. I just don't know why they ran this here unless they're actually going to do Bel Air Lynch again one year later at SummerSlam, which is massively problematic in its own right, if that's the booking. If you're going to run that, you would probably want to save it for Clash at the Castle. United yep. Kingdom show. Why wouldn't you do it? So I, I don't know where they're going. I'm at least interested that there's multiple people now. Carmella, Becky Lynch, Alexa Bliss. Asuka lost this, so you would assume now she's not in the number one contendership picture, but she probably still should be. There's a number of people, Rhea Ripley, who had won a number one contendership, but is now off TV with an injury. So you have like five women right now that are going after this title, which makes me feel better about the Mello situation. At the same time, I'm left to wonder what the hell is going to happen next week on Raw. Yeah, I mean, I would do Becky Asuka, number one contender, winner gets a title shot at Clash of the Castle. Like, just straight up do it that Do it way. again at SummerSlam. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, this exact match is the one I would have done at SummerSlam. Exactly. Uh, so, but I, I don't know if you put a different stipulation on or what, but this was a hell of a match. The, these two are so good, and they have such good chemistry together. Again, that's why they keep main eventing Monday night. They are two of the absolute best, and they just continue to put on banger after banger. And right, you know, right at the end, I, I was worried they were going to run long again, 
uh, because it was like it was like 10:58, and they're still going through stuff. And I wasn't sure if they were going to be able to finish it or not. But they they get to the finish. Becky puts it through the table, the one, two, three, and immediately after the three, the both both of them kind of like congratulated each other on the match. They both kind of like grabbed each other and said like, "Nice job," essentially. And the camera lingered on Becky, and she kept saying, "I'm back, I'm back, I'm back." So I don't know if this is the end of the very short-lived downward spiral that wasn't very downward uh or 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 what um but this was a great match i i don't know what it means next but i i would love to see it run back one more time no dqs or something like that and and you, you say this is a number one contender match we don't get number one contender matches on pay-per-views anymore or, uh but i i think that'd be a great way to do it if you're not going to have either of them uh against bianca completely agree Let's go to the men. Uh, Bobby Lashley opened the July 4th Raw with two, when I use the word loud, it's it's not appropriate, thunderous Bobby chants. Yep. The new United States champion said, it's the man that makes the title. Then he silenced the crowd to say, there's not a man in any division or any promotion that can beat him for the title. Theory said Lashley won the title, but everyone's talking about him, the youngest Mr. Money in the Bank ever. Lashley said Theory didn't deserve to be in the match. Theory informed Lashley he was getting a rematch for the title at SummerSlam and planned to win the undisputed titles in the main event also. That's what I mentioned earlier. Theory then caught Lashley with a briefcase, a couple shots to the face and back, but Lashley stood tall with an almighty spinebuster. This worked as a show opener. The Lashley chants, Chris, are shocking to me. I mean, I'm not saying he doesn't deserve them and he shouldn't be over, but from the response at in Las Vegas to the response in San Diego, he is way more over than I thought, even coming out of Money in the Bank. Theory got great heat and having them face off helped both of them go in their proper directions. Also, it was kind of one of Bobby Lashley's best solo promos probably mm-hmm. since he returned to WWE. So this was good, uh, but going with an immediate rematch at SummerSlam when there's a whole roster of contenders, Theory doesn't need the title. He has Money in the Bank. I don't know why they didn't just do this. Is You want to do something on Raw? This is a rematch you do on Raw. You don't do it at SummerSlam. You have someone else step up and contend for the title who's a big name in the division not doing anything. So that was an eye roll, but everything else was good. We we don't need a rematch of this. Um, that, was for, that was a letdown because we had all in our heads hooked Austin Derry versus John Cena. And so the fact that we're not getting that is kind of a letdown. And I think all of us don't think Austin Theory is going to get the U.S. title back. That said, I really did like this uh, bit between them. I thought I love the any promotion line from Lashley. Theory is very underrated, solid on the mic. He's generally only sticking with the kind of can WWE lines, but he delivers them very well. So you know, I like the two of them going back and forth a bit. My only, <coughs> my only issue is this probably sets up Theory for another loss. And this Does is my it? concern about... Uh, you think Theory's going to win back? I, I, I hope he doesn't, but like, why do this if he's not going to win? It, it's nonsense. It's, you know, it's very similar to like, do you remember, I forget which WrestleMania it was, but like Finn Balor lost the US title to Bobby Lashley and then won it back at WrestleMania for no reason. Like they, right. it didn't make any sense that they did it that way, but they they did. It, it I, kind I just of think feels since, like that. I don't he, know. Since he has the, the money in the bank, I don't think putting the US title on him <laughs> It immediately devalues the U.S. title. It does, which is why this doesn't make sense at all. As a and rematch. Bobby's getting huge pops, which they know. And they open the show with Bobby coming out. He says, welcome to Monday Night Raw. They have positioned him as the face 
of Monday Night Raw now, which is what they needed to do, and it worked. I just think this is going to set up theory for an, yet another loss, which I think is the exact thing you don't want to happen with him after winning Money in the Bank. He should be building and building himself now. It, it's possible he loses to Lashley again and then tries to cash in, you know, and try to run back essentially what you did on Money in the Bank and run back the Seth Rollins thing and maybe the cash-in doesn't work. Back to what we said at the beginning Consecutive of the show. shows with the same booking? I mean, right. Lordy. I just I. I I don't see how this works. I don't see how this helps theory in the end. Um, I, I I think you needed to move both guys on to different things and running totally. this back at the stadium show. I'm I'm concerned. It's such a natural. It was such a natural point of separation. Yeah. Theory. Yeah. Theory lost the U.S. title, got Money in the Bank. Lashley won the U.S. title, comes out on Raw. This is you know he's basically saying this is the A title because no one can beat me. That's what he's saying. So. You've succeeded. Everything's perfect. You guys did mm-hmm. a really good job. And then Theory comes out and gets a rematch. And again, I don't mind the rematch. Do it on Raw. Why the hell are you doing it at SummerSlam? It's just, maybe we'll, you know, look, when SummerSlam comes around, I always say this, maybe they surprise us and it makes sense. And there's an occasions where that happens. I don't think this is one of them. It, the, it, the biggest it seems problem, like he's big- just going to take another loss. The biggest problem with Theory's character right now is that he doesn't have notable wins. He lost to Pat McAfee at WrestleMania. Like, he he's he hasn't been built up to a believable champion. And if he loses again to Bobby Lashley, that's only gonna make it it's only gonna make it tougher. Right. And if they, God forbid, do a DQ where he like beats him with the briefcase or something, then it's just a total waste of time. So Yep, I could definitely I, see that. Yeah, I man, I just don't know exactly what they're doing here. It's very confusing, especially to announce it so quickly. Now you have four weeks of build for a rematch that you already had a storyline for. Like, what are they going to do? More pose downs? Uh, again, it's it's extremely frustrating at this point. Uh, Brian Owens at Owens 11B, he wrote in, was Bobby Lashley saying any promotion in his promo last night, a nod to anything, or am I reading too much into that? Was very interesting. He would drop that, I thought. So... If he had said it organically, I wouldn't have thought anything of it. But he literally silenced the crowd and and made it clear so that his words came through. There's not a man in any division or any promotion that can beat me for the title. I mean, WWE doesn't do crossover shit. So for me, that would have to be a return or a debut. That's the only way that would make sense. And the only person I can think of, and I'm not even, again, I don't know why he would say that. And then they would announce a match for SummerSlam. You would think that would be at SummerSlam, whatever that match was. The only person I can think of right now who is not under contract, who would potentially come in and step up to Lashley in terms of size, strength, overall, whatever, would be Big Cass. He His contract with Impact expired. He was really impressive on AEW Dynamite in that match against um, Wardlow, I think it was. So that's the only name that I can think of. And he's not from another promotion. He's a free agent. I don't know if it was on purpose. It seemed like it was on purpose. Maybe they have something planned for it. Maybe it's Tyson Fury. Maybe that's what it is. Maybe it's, you know, we we just mentioned Gunther. Maybe it's Tyson Fury against Bobby Lashley. I don't know. When I heard it, I thought it was just a little shot at AEW and nothing else. Like, I I didn't think there was anything more to it. Um, The Tyson Fury idea is interesting. That, that's certainly interesting, but my reading of it was just stay a little, little, little jab at AW without saying them and get people talking. And Fair that enough. was all I thought of it. Fair enough. Uh, the Street Profits threw a Fourth of July barbecue. Chad Gable 
was trying to read the Declaration of Independence. Montez Ford slapped Gable with a glizzy. Otis talked about hot dogs. So Angela Dawkins put Tez over as a Marine before saying he's a three-time hot dog eating champion. Mustafa Ali later stole a pie from Veer Mahan while he wasn't looking. MVP tossed Reggie off the screen. Uh, Ezekiel reminisced about his 4th of July's with Elias and Elrod when he squirted ketchup well past his hot dog onto Seth Rollins, who was wearing all white. Rollins went from furious to manically laughing to furious again before walking off, and that eventually set up a match we'll talk about in a moment. Otis and Dawkins did a hot dog battle with Otis winning 23 to 22, only for the camera to pan out just enough for Akira Tozawa to be shown having downed 48 hot dogs for the win. Otis looked sick from all the hot dogs he ate, which did not paint a good picture for what was going to happen later in the show. Look, WWE, they're always going to do a holiday party when they have the opportunity. This was probably better than 75% of the holiday parties that they do on screen. So I'm going to say it was good. The camera pan to Tazawa got a chuckle out of me. Mm -hmm. The hot dog spot with the ketchup um, and, and Rollins, that was funny. But most surprising out of this entire thing was I did not think they were going to do a heel turn this quickly for Zeke, but how else do you explain someone putting ketchup on a hot dog? Yeah, that's a fair point. Um, no, this was fine. It was fun. You know, again, street profits are always the people you put in things like this. Um, there wasn't, you know, an, an, you know, they had the six man hand later, so it's not like this was the only thing they did. Um, and you know, it was it was fine. It was funny. You, you knew it was going to set up the puke spot later. Um, yeah, it was good. It, it was perfectly fine. No real other thoughts on that. All right. Uh, so, our, by the way, I, I missed it, and it's probably just from me not listening. It's my fault. Are we? Are you with me on goods so far for the segments that we've yes. already uh, yep. covered? Okay. Yep. My bad for, for missing it. Um, so we had Rollins and Zeke, as I mentioned. Zeke press slammed Rollins into the timekeeper's area. He also caught Rollins flying with a lifted knee. Rollins ran from the top rope up to the top rope for his signature combo, but Zeke picked him off with a spinning Liger bomb for a near fall. I was pretty impressed. Uh, Rollins escaped a backslide and immediately hit a stomp for the win. I believe there were piped in booze after the bell. The WWE's not using the piped in stuff as much as they have been. So it's tough to kind of determine when it is there and when it isn't. But this one seemed pretty obvious to me. Uh, after starting to walk back, Rollins ran back into the ring and tried a second stomp. But as he did, Riddle came out of nowhere for an RKO to a huge pop. This was an odd match because Zeke is over and fans love Rollins, but the crowd was kind of dead. And that's after it was really amped up for the first 90 minutes of the show. Rollins did a good job making Zeke look strong, but obviously Rollins needed to win. The Riddle post-match surprise was really well executed. And hopefully this leads to Riddle Rollins in a singles match at SummerSlam. I think that makes a ton of sense as long as they don't give it on a uh, uh, give it away on a random Raw with no promotion like Oscar Becky Lynch again. But in terms of what we got Monday night, I thought it was good. Yeah, it was fine. It was like a low level good. Nothing of consequence other than Riddle coming in at the end of hitting Rollins, seeming to set that up. The Zeke stuff, you know, I don't really know what's next for him. Kevin Owens has not been on, on TV for a while. Um, and this was the whole thing we said with Zeke, which was once you kind of get past the is he or is he not Elias, what is he? And so far, he's a guy who shows up in hot dog skit and then loses to Rollins. So... Yeah, we'll see, but this was this was fine. This was good. It set up the riddle raw and stuff that we were gonna do. That was a great that was a great RKO out of nowhere though. Like they they camera got it well, like it it all it nailed and the crowd went big for it. So uh yeah, that worked. It was good. 
So finishing this entire segment, we had Lashley and the Street Profits against Theory and Alpha Academy. This was previously announced. Lashley and Tez did stereo delayed vertical suplexes with salutes, hearkening back to their military service, and they got a big pop for that. Then Dawkins leapfrogged Lashley on his way to a Tope Con Hero in a great spot. Dawkins got fooled outside only to get blindsided by Otis. Later, Theory was like standing around at ringside when Dawkins literally pounced him over the announce table. It was violent. The crowd went crazy for it. Otis sold an upset stomach before a Lashley spear and a sky-high frog splash from Tez took him out of the match. But you know, Otis can never get pinned for some reason. So then Ford uh, sold Gable's rolling German suplex with a full flip, landing on his stomach. It was awesome. Gable hit a moonsault on Lashley for a near fall. Lashley came back with the spear for the one, two, three. A little bit after the bell, Otis blew chunks in the ring. Totally obvious, totally unnecessary to do that. But putting that aside, this match was a blast. All six men worked their asses off. The Lashley Profits team was way more fun than I expected. It worked really well together. I went 3.75 stars and a B plus. Obviously a good, but please, we don't need the childish vomit bullshit next time. I mean, you're going to get the childish vomit bullshit because children are part of the target audience here. Um, but the, the match itself was a lot of fun. Chad Gable got to look great. The the suplex he did on Bobby Lashley. Whew, man, that guy is, we say it all the time, but that guy's incredibly talented. Uh, I like the Street Profits and Bobby Lashley together. It just worked well as a six-man team. Uh, so, yeah, this was a great match. Overall, good. Again, not much more to say because not much came out of it otherwise. Uh, but this was this was fun. This was good. I didn't love. I did not love the slow mo replays of the puking afterwards. <laughs> yeah, that was not necessary. But, but, but credit, but credit to them for putting in you know hot dog bits and other stuff to make it look real. Sure. Uh, so the Mysterios fought Judgment Day before the match. Ray announced it's been ten years since he wrestled in his home of San Diego, and obviously it was Dominic's first match at home. After their babyface entrance, Judgment Day attacked them from behind before the bell. Damian Priest blind tagged and caught Dominic trying a six one nine, throwing him into the barricade. Ray hit his seated senton for a near fall, then dodged a coup de gras. The Mysterios then hit a double 619 on Priest and Finn Balor, but Balor got his knees up on the subsequent frog splash. Priest threw a chair to Balor, and then Ray noticed it and pulled the Eddie Guerrero by flopping to the canvas, only for the referee to turn around and call the disqualification. Later backstage, Judgment Day attacked them from behind, with Priest lawn darting Dom into a ladder, just like Kevin Nash did Ray Mysterio back in the day. Priest then choked Ray and screamed at him. I don't really have much of a problem with this feud going another week or two. Like it was a pretty smart way for the Mysterios to get a win in San Diego without actually beating Judgment Day. I saw people complaining that Judgment Day lost their first match. I mean, it was an Eddie Guerrero finish. Like it's not like they got pinned. So calm the hell down. Uh, It's Mm -hmm. one of those DQ situations for me that is totally acceptable. There were fun spots in the match. The attack was done well and it was entertaining. So I'm again here. I thought this was all good. Yeah, it was it was fine. You know, the, you know the Eddie Guerrero finish. I don't know the last time that's actually finished a match in WWE. Like they'll always allude to it, but it never right. ends the match. This one finally did. Um, you know, they're in San Diego. You give the Mysterios a win without giving Judgment Day a loss. I, I get it. Um, Dominic needs to cut his hair really badly. It looks terrible. Uh, <laughs> I wrote that down. And then look, I, I'm glad. Judgment Day got the beatdown afterward. Because, like, even if you're upset that they took the loss that wasn't a loss, 
they got it back the way WWE always gives it back, which is a beat down at the end and make them look, make them look strong. So, so that was something, but overall judgment day is, is not at all kind of what we had hoped they would be, you know, even after the, the edge turn, um, we're not really talking about them. And now we're talking about edge again because they're doing that promo. So, um, it was good, but I have long-term concerns about uh, Judgment Day. Absolutely. Um, and, and speaking of Edge, there's really nothing to grade here, but WWE did air that vignette twice more on Raw, the one that we first got at Money in the Bank. Technically, it's not officially Edge, but it seems pretty obvious that it is. It was just kind of disappointing that there wasn't a second version, like given there's less mm-hmm. than four weeks until SummerSlam. And I have to imagine he's coming back to set up a match at SummerSlam. Edge, Finn Balor probably is what makes the most sense. That's going to be a banger if that's the direction they go. It's a great non-title men's singles match. But for just to have that vignette and have the exact same one and air it twice, it's like Alexa Bliss territory, right? Where they rerun the vignette. and then But with Alexa, they would run a new one at the end of the show. They didn't do that here. So just disappointing. Um, yeah, Judgment Day is not working at all the way they expected it or I expected it when it first started. And the Balor move replacing Edge I was fine with it because it was a great double turn. And like in the moment, Mm -hmm. it was really exciting. But due to a combination of like them not being booked on TV and then Rhea Ripley being booked and getting injured right away, Judgment Day has lost any momentum it had and it did not have much. Yep. They they really dropped the ball after the after the Balor stuff, which everybody was really into. Yeah. And they just didn't have a follow up for it. And that that's bad. This is again, anytime WWE does big things, you worry about. Is there a plan to follow this? And Judgment Day has been an example of, I don't know if they had a plan. Moving over to SmackDown, we had a scheduled New Day Viking Raiders tag team match. New Day cut a comedy promo. Then their opponents were literally announced as the new vicious Viking Raiders. And they came out with shields. They beat the shit out of New Day with the shields, stopped themselves from leaving the ring, and hit a double choke slam on Kofi Kingston. The horrendously unnecessary and patently absurd branding took me out of this completely. You know how mm-hmm. I know a team is vicious, Chris? I watch them be vicious. And then commentary can say, man, these guys are vicious. Like, that's all you need to do. You do not need to ring announce them as the new vicious Viking Raiders. If you want to do that, change their name, the Vicious Raiders or the Vicious Vikings. Those would have been okay. Like, go ahead and do that. That was incredibly stupid. The beatdown wasn't particularly good. So, it was bad. It wasn't offensive, but it was bad. Yeah, this was bad. Honestly, the only thing I could remember from this was them saying vicious. Like, remember when these guys were War Machine and they came in to NXT and it was just like, man, this is such a big get. They're so talented and, you know, strong. And look at all these things. And look at what the Viking Raiders are now. Just like, unbelievably, just how poorly they have treated and, and booked these guys since they came up to the main roster. And it's, this was up there with Viking experience bad. You liked their comedy shit. Let's not twist stuff. I did. I liked it. But I'm just saying compared to what they were and what they can be, I in their main roster run, that was the best thing they've done. You know, everything else has been really a mess. Um, I just, the biggest eye roll you can possibly make seeing vicious fight, like, God, this was so stupid. I, I'm very, I'm very, very curious if they're going to be doing it when they come back the next week because they changed Viking experience after their debut and how embarrassing that was. Curious if they do that again here, but just like, how do you, 
it, it, it's truly remarkable how much they've botched these guys over years and years and years since they came up compared to what they were. Well, I want to clarify. I don't particularly think this ruins them. I mean, their aggressive return last week, and you weren't on the podcast to discuss it. I loved what they did last week, two weeks ago on Friday. I'm sorry. When they interrupted, uh, they did the tongue in cheek, or oh, we're going to do a rematch with Jinder Mahal and Shanky, New Day did. And then the Viking Raiders made their re-debut. They beat the shit out of everyone and they were heels and they just crushed all four guys. I liked that two weeks ago. Did you not like that? I honestly barely remember it. Mike, you were traveling, so you, maybe you missed it. But maybe I So they did it. that two weeks ago and their return was hot. This was not their return. This was the follow-up of them having already attacked New Day. I, I like the aggressiveness. I like the gimmicks that they're doing. I like them being vicious. I don't like them being it, called the new vicious Viking Raiders. It, and after first having them come back and looking dominant and cool, I thought, two weeks ago, this past Friday, giving them the shields, it had Bludgeon Brothers vibes. It was, yes. They took something that was naturally cool and dominant and a strong team that, yeah, they weren't War Machine, but they were close enough to the War Raiders that we first got in NXT. It was the closest they've been since then. And they put a corny spin on it unnecessarily. That's what pissed me off. Yes, and they and they will always seem to do this is what I'm saying. Like, you can never trust that they just, like, get it. Even, even, I mean, like, even the whole Viking gimmick, like, I know that it's kind of their thing, but they it wasn't quite this way when they were in NXT. And before that, it's just they've become caricatures. Well, so they were much. the War Raiders in NXT. They got right. they became Viking right. Raiders when they got called up. Right. They become. Or, I'm sorry. Sorry. They were the Viking Experience. I think. Right. Yeah. I forgot how it went. It, they've just. It's just they've they've really just become real caricatures of of, of things, and it's not their fault because they're really too talented dudes. They just keep putting keep putting in these situations where you can't take them seriously. Even 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 something where you're supposed to take them seriously, they just WWE it up. It's just it's a mess. Right. There's no reason for them not to be taken seriously now, except they added that in for no reason in the shields. The shields aren't the end of the world, but they're ridiculous gimmicks, just like Drew McIntyre's sword, just like some of the other bullshit that they have. It's just so like, unnecessary. When, now. when they were in NXT and they would do a takeover and they would have the big costumes for the special shows. For like, the entrance. That's an, yeah, yeah. That's, yeah, just for them to an immense something. But like WWE always has to give you the big entrance for every single show. And then it just kind of waters it all down and you become... Again, kind of a caricature. And that's what happened with, with the Claymore, right? Like it was yep. really cool to do the entrance and stick it in the stone a couple times in big matches. And then when it's every week and he's try threatening to cut people's heads off to decapitate them with it when you know he's not going to, unfortunately, sometimes, because uh, it's wrestling, right? You're like, well, what the hell is the point of him carrying the sword? Mm -hmm. Th there isn't one. That's the problem. Let's stick with SmackDown here. Max Dupree was close talking Pierce, excited to showcase his maximum male models. Dupree got booze piped in when he first got into the ring. He also got what chance while he spoke slowly. Mace, renamed Massey, was the first one introduced. He did a catwalk and an extended pose. He was on the platform. Uh, Dupree talked him up a lot. Then Mansoor, renamed Mansois, was next, and he did the same. Then they came together in the finish. Now, I'm not going to do what you all think I'm going to do and freak out. I'm 100% honest on this show. I laughed a few times. It was so over the top ridiculous with Dupree's introductions, the names, the lights, the music. Pay attention to the music next time they do this. 
the whole thing is a combination of Zoolander and Eminem from back in the day. Even the simple announcement of a tennis wear segment this coming week on SmackDown made me chuckle. But what really made it is all three guys, Max Dupree, Mansoir, I'm trying to remember their names, Mansoir and Massey, all three guys are 100% bought in. Yes. They are insistent that they are going to make it work. There's even a website for them already where apparently they're going to take applications or something like that. (laughs) Screw it. Even with me saying last week definitively that I would be very disappointed if it was only Mason Mansour, sorry, Massey and Mansoir, this was freaking good. You know, I got some tweets too from people thinking you were going to be pissed off about this, probably because of how you set it up last week. But no, when WWE goes all in on a goofy thing, it works. With the right wrestlers who are willing to do so. Yes. The buy like, is not. This is not like serious, goofy, Shields, Viking Raider stuff. Like, no, they're, like you said, they are fully bought in on this. And... Uh, Max Dupree slash LA Knight slash Eli Drake is a really, really charismatic talker. He always has been. This is why I was high on him when he was LA Knight in NXT and the Silver King didn't like him at first until he became a face and then it got better. He's just Thank you for telling that story properly, by the way. He's, yes, he's captivating. (laughs) He always has been. And he's able to sell you on something as stupid as this. And you can laugh at it. You're not supposed to take it seriously. How long can this go? I don't know. But I trust his ability to make it interesting. This was supposed to happen like three weeks ago. They kept pushing it off. Yet week after week, we got Max Dupree close talking with Adam Pierce. And it was funny. Like he just, he makes things work. And I think he can make something work out of this. I have no idea what, what it means going forward. He can't do this exact same thing five weeks in a row or something like that. But in terms of a start, in terms of a, a repackaging debut, this was really good. This was really funny. This is sports entertainment. And it can be funny. And you can just leave it at that. I'm legitimately floored how much I like this. Like, like <laughs> I thought I was like, you know what? There's a chance that this is good because it's Max Dupree. It's L.A. Knight, right? Like Eli Drake, there's there's a chance. And Mace and Mansoor, Masse, Mansoir. Uh, I'm repeating it up so that it sticks in my head. I added Man to that with Swar. Mustafa Ali. There's an R at the end of it. No, Mansoir, S-W-A. Like, I thought you said Swar. I thought you said Swar. No, I don't think so. Well, maybe, who knows? Maybe, maybe, maybe it is. Uh, maybe it's a Fandango situation, Fandango situation where we need to say it properly. Um, but I was just so floored how much I liked it and how good of a job that they did. So kudos to those three guys. Uh, Brendan Williams fully bought in, especially Marseille. Uh, you're kicking ass, man. And I'm just, I'm, I'm anticipating SmackDown on Friday. I want to see the tennis wear. Like, I, I, I can't believe yeah. I'm saying it. I want to see male models wear tennis clothes uh, this Friday coming on SmackDown. Definitely. I, I don't know what else to say. Uh, okay. Sonya Deville uh, was backstage. I think it was on SmackDown telling Pierce. Oh, I should, sorry. One more thing before I continue. Um, the producer list got released from SmackDown. And to no surprise, Adam Pierce is the one in charge of Maximum Male Models and this segment. So he produced mm. the entire thing. So he's working with LA Knight behind the scenes, Max Dupree. Max Dupree. And yeah, I fixed it. And uh, both in kayfabe 
And in reality, he's working with them and doing the whole thing. So very cool. Good job, Adam Pierce as well. Uh, Sonya Deville on SmackDown was telling Pierce the handicap match two weeks ago, I guess, was unfair. She said she filed a formal complaint against him with management. Then she slapped him across the face. I mean, it was a short and sweet, good backstage segment, but I've absolutely no idea where this is going. What's Sonya Deville's deal? Uh, Like, are they just going to overwhelm her with opponents? What's the purpose of it? I kind of thought they were past it, but apparently not. Yeah, I, I I don't know. As always, I just hope there's a plan and we'll see. Fair. And last and certainly least, R-Truth on Raw came out dressed like Uncle Slam for a 4th of July celebration. He celebrated Will Smith, Jeff Goldblum, and Vivica A. Fox from Saving the World in 1996. I did think that was funny. Then Ludwig Kaiser interrupted to demand respect for someone more worthy, Gunther. He smacked Truth. They rang the bell. Gunther hit a lariat and a powerbomb for the win in one minute. So WWE forced a SmackDown guy onto Raw just because it was July 4th so they could get USA chance against the one guy who I guess they think could do an anti-American segment. The crowd didn't give a shit. This benefited no one. It was idiotic. It was forced patriotism. And it made Gunther look like shit, if anything. Like, I don't think it did anything for anyone. But if it did, it made him look like shit. This was absolutely, positively ugly. Zero point zero. Zero point zero, Mr. Blutarski. You know, my concern with Gunther ever since he won the IC title was, is there going to be enough juice to make him a real, truly big, bad guy? Is he going to be able to rack up wins against quality opponents? Or is it going to be a bunch of Ricochet stuff and, and Drew Gulak stuff? And look, this was just a one-off segment, to, you know, because he's not American. It, it's like that whole Futurama pro wrestling uh, scene where the guy, th- there's the bad guy named The Foreigner, and he goes, I'm not from here. I don't know your customs. And they boo him for that. And that's, that's basically what this was. I had no other thoughts on it, other than that was really unfortunate. Uh, and also, once again, that Ludwig Kaiser standing next to Gunther always makes Gunther look small because I never realize Ludwig Kaiser is that big. Right. There's not uh, a huge discrepancy in size between the two. Yeah, especially since Gunther's lost weight and gotten in, in better shape. Um, but, you know, I'm I'm not optimistic about Gunther's IC title reign just because of the way SmackDown has been. Um, and this did not uh, this did not help that. Yeah, not really my plan to end the show on like the most sour note of the entire program, because I do think today, Chris, we were relatively positive, right, about what we got overall. But there's absolutely no doubt that, you know, that was the down point, I think, on WWE television from Friday till Monday. Like it was it was the worst thing that they gave us. Yes. And that's super unfortunate. Now, uh, look, we just broke down a ton in the world of WWE, and I think we did a rather good job doing it quickly, right? And not doing a full on uh, two hour show, but I appreciate everyone, of course, joining us once again now. Uh, SummerSlam, the road is officially beginning. It has officially begun. We are less than four weeks out, which means next week, same bat time, same bat channel. We will be right back on Tuesday with our next WWE episode. We do have Roman Reigns 
showing up on SmackDown. Liv Morgan is making her first appearance as women's champion. So there should be plenty to talk about on next week's show. Between now and then, we will be back on Thursday. We will have NXT Great American Bash results and reaction from the Silver King. And we'll discuss the latest in the world of AEW as they begin building towards All Out. So plenty still to come from the Getting Over Wrestling podcast this week, moving into next week. I hope everyone in the United States had a great holiday weekend. I hope everyone around the world listening to us had a great weekend as well. Let's remember that the Barbados uh, and Jamaican flags are far better than the Canadian flags. Also, n- not just holiday weekend for America. It was Canada Day on July 1st, so happy Canada Day to everybody as well. Happy Canada Day and your not ty- top five flag. I uh, hope you guys had a great time despite me liking your flag and liking your country. Simply not top five. But I appreciate Chris representing, I guess, partially the Canadians uh, for being on this show. Thanks once again for joining us. Let me remind you all before we get out of here, the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast So head on over to Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Leave those five-star ratings on Apple. Please leave a written five-star review. Let everyone know how much you love the show. We'll read it live on this podcast. Also, do not forget to follow us for all the good reasons I stated earlier on Twitter, at Getting Overcast. Thanks to Chris. Thanks to you all for listening. Silver King is going to leave you now with three final words. Bye for now.